energy. Can we all just admit that I was right about Mac Jones from the start? He's good. He's not great. And they have made him worse by what they have done to him this year. The passion. This UVM team is the most athletic team I can remember in the eight years I've been covering them. They're that fast. They're that quick. They're that bouncy. The opinions on all your favorite teams. Craig Breslow might be great. But he's got to start spending money. I think he's going to, but he better start soon. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Thursday. I missed you yesterday. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM and FM and WDEBradio.com. We have a full show tonight, all 90 minutes. Last night, we had high school hoops. Tomorrow night, we got high school hoops. We got all 90 minutes at our disposal today. A lot to get to. Buster Olney going to join us from ESPN in about 15 minutes. Talk about the Red Sox offseason. Talk about the Shohei Otani deal and the press conference for Otani, which is coming up about a half an hour from now. We'll do our six-pack of NFL questions today. Since we don't have a show tomorrow, we'll get you ready for the weekend. Talk a little Patriots and Chiefs. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about my Christmas tree debacles and We'll talk about that in the 6 o'clock hour. But you can get in 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. I am here. You are here. Danny is here. Danny, let go. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete Locally owned home center, also upstate New York. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, Rouses Point, New York, and Swanton Lumber. They are online at sticksandstuff.com. Danny, so when we were here on Tuesday, there was the report from Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston that Bill Belichick is going to be parted ways with at the end of the season, right? Did not say fire, but said that Robert Kraft has made a decision. Basically, he doesn't want Belichick back next year, and there's going to be a parting of the ways. In the two days since we were last on, everybody has run with this report now, and everybody is talking about this story, including Albert Breer of NBC Sports Boston, who had this to say on Kraft and the impending, looming decision on Belichick. And the optics of how would it look if I'm the guy who got rid of both Brady and and, and, and Belichick, and where does that leave me? And so I think that this is multi-layered, and I think what Kraft wants, and this is me talking, mm-hmm. I think what Kraft wants is an elegant solution to this. He wants a conclusion that looks the right way and that honors Belichick the right way. 802-585-3026, I ask you, is that possible? Is that possible, right? Albert Breer says, in his opinion, Robert Kraft wants an elegant solution. He wants a solution that makes Belichick look good, that honors Belichick, and I'm sure selfishly, as he pointed out, optics makes Robert Kraft look good as well. Right? Robert Kraft, you don't get to be that rich without having an ego. Okay? And you can be a huge philanthropist and you can give back to charity and you can be a huge, a huge champion for this cause and that cause. And Robert Kraft certainly is. You don't get that rich without having a little bit of an ego. And Robert Kraft certainly does too. He does not want to look bad in this either. Right? So he wants to have his cake and eat it too. He wants to get rid of Bill Belichick, but he wants to do it the right way for him and he wants to do it the right way for himself. I am asking you, is that possible? Is there a clean ending here for the Bill Belichick era in New England? 802-585-3026. 
I am going to come back to the same thing I have mentioned multiple times over the last few months. To me, there is only one clean option here, and that is Bill Belichick getting traded. That, to me, is the only clean option, Bill Belichick getting traded. I don't even know that that would be incredibly clean. It is the only thing that has a chance to be clean. Because examine the alternatives, right? Examine the alternatives. If Bill Belichick gets out and out fired, you look like the guy who canned the greatest coach in NFL history, a guy who has won you six Super Bowls you look ungrateful for. Firing Bill Belichick, not going to be clean, right? Not going to be clean. You going to Bill Belichick and saying, hey, Bill, I think you're a good coach, but I don't think you're a good executive. We would like to strip you of that title. You can imagine how that's going to go over. That also is not going to be clean. So those are your two options. Keeping Bill Belichick on staff when you have seen the writing on the wall here for the last couple of years, that also is not clean. That would bring us Willie Mays hitting 057 at the end of his career with the Mets or Ken Griffey Jr. swinging through three fastballs with the Chicago White Sox. We have seen Bill Belichick be whittled down a little bit here at the end of his Patriots career. Keeping that going would also not be clean. The only potential clean getaway, as far as I'm concerned, is Bill Belichick being traded. And let me tell you once and what I hope is for all, the reason why that is the case. If Bill Belichick is traded, Robert Kraft does not have to do him the indecency of firing him. He does not have to do him the indignity of firing him. He can look himself in the mirror and say, I did not fire the guy who has brought me six Super Bowl rings. Right? I did not do that. So Robert Kraft feels better. Belichick doesn't get fired for the second time in his NFL career, right? Hall of Fame coach, two firings. In Belichick's case, it's not going to mean anything, but perception-wise, it might for him or for Kraft. You keep that from being the case, right? Belichick does not get fired, and he does not get fired by you. So you feel better about it. You get something for him. I don't know what you're going to get for Bill Belichick, right? He's 72 years old, or he's going to be 72 years old. I don't know you're going to get a first-round pick for Bill Belichick, but you've acquired something for him. So Robert Kraft wants to look good. He wants something clean here. He doesn't have to fire Belichick, and he gets something for him in a way he never was able to for Tom Brady, right? He watched Tom Brady leave for nothing, and then Tom Brady leave and go have success. This time, he doesn't leave for nothing, or Bill Belichick doesn't get nothing for this team. First-round pick, third-round pick, fourth and a seventh, I'm not sure, but you're going to get something for him. So Kraft can look at everyone and say, hey, I didn't make the same mistake twice in terms of letting a guy go for free and then getting burned by it. From Belichick's perspective, he doesn't get the indecency of being fired, and he gets a little bit more, it looks like it's his choice to leave, right? Because let's examine this. Let's say at the end of the year there's six jobs available, right? Let's say there's six jobs available. Well, in a traditional hiring cycle, Bill Belichick's going to get fired, and then he's going to have to go and do interviews at 71 years old, dog and pony show, and he has the ability to be rejected in these interviews. That would be humiliating for him as well. If he's traded, you know he's being traded to a team that wants him. 
there is no interview. There is no dog and pony show. There is no potential of being told no in the room. There is no potential of walking out of the interview process with your tail between your legs. Belichick, it looks like it's his choice. He's going somewhere where he wants to go and where he's wanted in return. That, to me, is the only way that this ends up clean. Now, it can end up dirty if everybody starts disparaging each other on the way out the door. That's If people want to air their dirty laundry, all of this goes out the window. But if you want a chance at something elegant, the only answer is somebody is Bill Belichick getting traded. Now, I spoke to Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio yesterday. He doesn't even think my plan will work. He thinks there's no way that this doesn't end up messy. To me, the main question would be, what if he does not want to coach anywhere else? What if after all that time doing the Patriots, he does not want to go somewhere else and start over where he's not going to have the kind of control that he's had the Patriots organization for the, for the past 20 plus years? So that may be an additional question in terms of if they're going to move on or not, if when they're going to move on with Bill Belichick, what do they get back? But who would say Bill Belichick may want to go somewhere else to leave the Patriots not in a situation where they can ask anything back for him when it's all said and done? I don't think Bill Belichick doesn't want to coach, right? To Freddie's point, if they want to trade him and he just doesn't want to go anywhere and then he's fired or forced into retirement, Freddie's like, that would be messy too, and he's right. But I don't think that that's a possibility here. I think Bill Belichick wants to coach. Look, I don't know Bill Belichick. I've never spoken to him. I've only been in the same room as Bill Belichick one time. I went to a Bill Belichick press conference one year at the Super Bowl. Can't remember what year. I think Minneapolis, but I've only been around him one time. I think I, I can't see him not wanting to coach. This has been his whole life, right? You heard him reminiscing about the 67 Army-Navy game. He is a football guy. He is a football lifer. I think he still thinks he has something to offer to the game, and I would argue as a coach that he does still have something to offer to the game. And, I look, he broke up with his girlfriend, his longtime girlfriend, before the season. Again, I'm not in his head personally, but if he quits playing – what is he going home to? Do you see Bill Belichick just playing golf every single day? Is he going home to a relationship? He's not. Right? Bill Belichick is a football coach. And if Bill Belichick becomes a coach somewhere else, he can bring his kids along with him if he wants. And he can continue to have that family time that he values through the course of an NFL season. Because I'm sure that the Patriots would let Steve Belichick and I think it's Brian Belichick, if I'm remembering correctly, would let them out of, let them off the staff and Bill would want them and the new team would allow it. So Freddie's right. If Belichick doesn't want to leave, it can get messy. But I think if Belichick is faced with, Hey, we're going to fire you or you can be traded. I absolutely think he'd rather go somewhere else and coach. I think he wants to coach. He's a football coach. He's a football lifer and Freddie's concerns are valid. But I don't think they apply here because I don't think Belichick looks at his New Englander bust. 802-585-3026. Text says, of course it's going to end messy. They all know it. It's part of the game and part of life. It can, it will end messy unless there is what I just described, right? If I, if they trade him and it looks like his choice, and it looks like he's picking where he wants to go, and the new acquiring team wants him and welcomes him with open arms, then it just looks like a fresh start, right? So then, there it just looks like a fresh start. It doesn't look like something that's messy. 
Tech says perhaps Belichick should explain to the fan base how he will make the team better. Um, that's not going to happen in season, right? How the team gets better is an off-season discussion, and Belichick has never really had those discussions. So I, I would love for some transparency. It's not going to happen, right? It's not going to happen. Uh, a couple of off-topic texts here. We're going to get the Buster in a couple of moments, but a couple of off-topic tests. Ross says, I had the Brady Farkas sandwich for lunch yesterday at the Village Grocery. It was excellent. The only downfall was they had to take out the recipe book to see what was on it. Ross, my picture is right there next to the deli. You can tell everybody what's on. They're memorizing how many recipes here for their sandwiches. I understand they don't have to remember mine necessarily off the top of their head. Just point to them and say, hey, turn around the little thing, the little picture board, and say, hey, this is what I want, and this is what it looks like. There you go. I'll just help them out. My picture is there. John in Moncton uh, says, Let's go back to the afternoon news service for a second. Since Calvin doesn't have a TV, what does he do for fun? Right? Um, as a longtime listener, I am curious. I would uh, thank you for the personal touch you add to the afternoon news show, by the way. That was John in Moncton. Danny, what do you think? Cal- We're going to ask this tomorrow of Calvin. What do you think Calvin does for fun without a television? I imagine he reads a lot. I think he reads a lot as well. I don't know if that's like the most fun thing he does, but I imagine he does read a lot. Do you think this was, do you think this is like some kind of ruse where Calvin says, I don't have a TV, but then we find out that he's on Amazon Prime on his computer and he's watching videos on his computer. Do you think we're going to get him to say, just because I don't have a TV doesn't mean I don't consume media? Do you think that's the case? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think he would watch stuff on his phone or a tablet or something sometimes, but not owning a TV. I can, I can see that, I guess. I think Calvin reads. I think absolutely he reads. I, Calvin's very smart. I think he, I bet you he goes over his own notes on things and kind of studies his own work so he can always be on top of things. And uh, I bet you he also does watch political coverage on his, like on YouTube, right? doesn't mean he has to have a cable service or whatever, but I could see him watching addresses online, right? Like, okay, so-and-so made a speech. I'm going to go watch it on YouTube. I could see that. We'll ask Calvin tomorrow. We will ask Calvin tomorrow. Uh, more Belichick stuff. What does the impact of the alleged Belichick, Belichick contract extension have on trading or firing Bill? So um, here's what we know. Belichick was given a contract extension by the Patriots. Actually, it was a new contract uh, at the end of last season. Right, Belichick was given a new multi-year contract. NFL Network reported it as multi-year and lucrative. Tom Kern of NBC Sports Boston says, well, it might be lucrative. It's really only a two-year deal. So Bill Belichick is under contract with the Patriots through 2025. Or through, uh, well, through the 2024 season, excuse me. So he's got a year left on his deal after this. So he's not just going to be a free agent. If they're not going to fire him, they're going to, they will have to trade him and a new team will acquire him for something and then we'll give him a new deal, right? Well, we'll rip up the Patriots one year and we'll give you a four year deal. We'll give you a three year deal. I don't know how many years you want to give a 72 year old, but that's, that's where we're at. He's under contract. So therefore, um, he will have to be traded if they don't want to fire him. Tech says, 
Belichick can control how messy this gets. Doesn't he have responsibility to make the departure go smoothly as well? Um, to some degree, to some degree, but I think it's more of a case where Kraft says, look, this is what we're doing. We want this to look best for you. Will you play ball? And if he doesn't play ball, then yeah, it can get messy. I think the, the best way for everybody to come out looking good perception wise is for Belichick to get traded. I gotta go out to the phone line. Danny tells me we got Buster only waiting. So there's a lot of things happening in baseball right now, right? We got Otani's press conference coming up about 15 minutes from now. I want to talk about the Otani contract. I want to talk about the Red Sox. Let's get Buster on the phone. Buster only, Vermont native, our ESPN MLB insider with us. Now, Buster, a very happy Thursday to you. How are you as always? I'm doing great, Brady. What's going on? Well, I appreciate you being with us. Let, let, you know, we've read and heard all the stuff about the Otani contract and its structure the last few days. But let me ask you this. Should this worry the average baseball fan? We've seen deferred money forever, but we've never seen it like this. Is this going to become a tool that allows more super teams and really hurts the small market teams? Or is this a once-in-a-lifetime thing? Yeah, I don't think this is going to happen often. Uh, you know, there are actually some teams that don't like, uh, prefer not to defer money in this way because they feel like they're going to saddle, you know, future front offices with some, you know, costs uh, as they go forward. The other thing, too, is that I just think that it's potentially overstated what the impact, you know, uh, of the deferred money on the Dodgers' ability to do business. Um, you know, as, as one agent pointed out to me, you know, the, the Dodgers, and you and I will get into, I'm sure, the question of the $700 million and, and is it real? It really isn't a $700 million contract. Um, but the Dodgers are still going to be charged under luxury tax uh, system that baseball has $46.1 million in 2024. That's the biggest hit. In baseball, and that's the number that matters to the Dodgers as they structure their team. And so as one agent pointed out to me, look, if they had done the contract more conventionally, then they would have been hit with like 50 million or 55 million. And he said the difference between what the Dodgers, you know, would have been charged under a conventional contract versus this contract is like the difference of one Joe Kelly, like $8 million. It's not that big of a deal. But I think because of the the way that the media generally has reported this, which I think is in some respects unconscionable, uh, then then I think that a lot of fans don't understand about what the actual impact of this deal is. You know, I, I went and I read and I had to, to learn and teach myself a lot of this. And it's because of, you know, interest and all that. And money today is worth more than money down the future. They've kind of, I've kind of gathered that this deal is really worth about $460 million. Yep. Why did they not just say, okay, it's a 10 year, $460 million deal and some of it will be paid in the future with interest? Why, why would that, why would they not just say that versus telling us it's 700 million when it kind of is, but kind of isn't yeah it's clearly in the eyes of a lot of people in baseball structured to make the agent so tommy's agent uh nez Bolelo, look better than you know the a 460 million dollar deal by structuring it the way that they did with so much deferred money you know he put out a press release last saturday and, and said it was a 700 million dollar deal where because so much is deferred uh, as you mentioned, it's worth 461, 
but Nez now can go and tell, uh, you know, other players in recruiting speeches. I was the first agent to negotiate a contract that started with the number five and the number six and the number seven, even if it's not real. Uh, you know, it's very interesting because the agent put that press release out on Saturday and rather than, you know, reported as according to the agent, it's a $700 million deal. The way that it was reported, uh, was, Otani got a $700 million deal. Yeah, I did SportsCenter on Sunday morning the day after, and I told the producers, I'm like, I'm not comfortable saying it's a $700 million deal because the deferred money, you know, we need to know those details to determine exactly how much it's worth. It would be, you know, the equivalent of this, Brady, would be like if I told you, look, I'm going to give you a billion dollars to give to your favorite charity. And then in the fine print, I said, over 10 billion years. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, if I were to tell you I was going to give you a billion dollars, it would make me look really good. But when you saw the fine print, you could understand it was a lot less than mm. what I was portraying. Buster only ESPN MLB insider with us here on the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Buster, I don't want to name names or pick on other reporters, but I am curious kind of of your process in verifying information. There was a report from a Dodgers more than a blogger, but less than a true beat reporter last week that said Otani was going to the Blue Jays. Then we had the report from another reporter that he was on en route to, to Toronto on a flight. How do you go about not getting played, correctly sourcing thing, etc.? Well, in these cases, and look, everybody's made mistakes. Uh, you know, this is certainly one situation where you just can't be wrong. Uh, you just can't be. You have to slow down. You have to worry less about being first than uh, about being right. Uh, you know, there's sometimes, uh, you, you know, I remember one time I reported that Tommy Hunter reliever was going to the Philadelphia Phillies and they got contacted by some of the Phillies right away and said, I think you got your information wrong, which turned out to, of course, to be the case. And then you immediately just come out and say, you know what? I, I, that was my fault. I completely blew it. I contacted my bosses. I told them that I completely blew it. Um, you just have to be careful and slow down and not have this absolute rush to be first. It's pretty clear that there was a rush to be first in this case. And I think generally something that's changed over the last 20 or 30 years, it feels like that when this happens, there's no ramifications. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, Carissa Thompson came out and said uh, in so many words that she made up reports and nothing seemed to happen there. Uh, you know, in this case, it doesn't seem like that much happened. I, I, I know back when I started and when I was working in the New York Times, if you make a mistake of that magnitude, it would be a big deal. And it doesn't feel like it's as big of a deal as it used to be. Buster, let's talk about the Yankees. You referenced New York. They acquired Juan Soto officially since we last spoke. Um, look, I, I'm terrified by the idea of a judge in Soto outfield, possibly a resurgent year from Stanton to some degree, a healthy Carlos Rodon. I'm very, very nervous about the Yankees right now, Buster. Yeah, and, and it might get worse because they're right in the middle of this conversation about uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, Oof. the 25-year-old free agent pitcher. I know that there are people in that organization who feel like they have a real shot of signing him. You and I talked last week about how this really will probably come down to some major bidding. Uh, and you've got all these big market teams, the Mets and the Yankees and the Dodgers. Uh, you know, the Giants are involved in this. The Red Sox are involved in this. Uh, but the Yankees have the power of the pocketbook. 
uh, along with the Dodgers. And so we'll see if they flex their muscles in this negotiation. If they landed him, then I think they would be right there with the Orioles in 2024 as the preseason favorites. Buster, the Red Sox not doing much. They're taking some flyers on some relievers. They did acquire an outfielder in Tyler O'Neill last week from the Cardinals, who has been good in the past, has been injured in the past. What would you make of the O'Neill deal overall? I thought it was a good deal. Uh, you know, he's someone who's demonstrated in the past, not only, you know, can he hit for power, but he also, at his best, is an excellent outfielder. He doesn't really strike you when you look at him as being a guy who, you know, would be uh, be able to move necessarily that well. But as you know, he steals bases. Uh, you know, he he, uh, he he can run cover a lot of ground in the outfield when he's right. Um, he's someone who takes physical training so seriously. I'm sure you've talked about how his dad was a <laughs> uh, you know a bodybuilder, uh, a championship bodybuilder in Canada. Um, and Tyler is is right there with him in terms of that preparation that he does. Uh, and, you know, for the cost, I thought it was a good deal for them. I do think, and you and I have already talked about this this winter, they're, the, the Red Sox are swimming upstream against a perception problem. And if they want to land one of these big guys, they're going to have to overpay to get him. I do wonder, with the way the marketplace is playing out, if they're going to have opportunities to get one of two left-handers, Jordan Montgomery or Blake Snell, because as you know, the, the Dodgers and the Yankees add players and they fill holes, then there's still, you know, opportunity out there for, uh, you know, players, starting pitchers in particular, who, uh, you know, are looking for big dollars. And if the Red Sox are, in fact, willing to pay big dollars, there's still some guys on the board to do that with. Buster, let's talk about the Blue Jays a little bit here because they're fascinating sure. to me. A couple weeks ago – or not a couple weeks ago, excuse me, months ago, you had speculated, not a report, but speculated that maybe they were going to have to move on from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And the, the, my guess to that was that he was going to eventually cost too much money. Well, if they're swimming in the Otani waters, they evidently have way more money than I thought they did. So are they in a position to keep all their guys plus add? Was that a rarity? And they're still going to have to sell somebody down the road? What, what do you make of what the Blue Jays are financially right now? Yeah, they're in a really tough spot. Uh, you know, they clearly wanted Otani. They're willing to spend on Otani. I, you know, I, I tend to believe that they were used uh, by uh, Otani's agents to push the Dodgers a little bit in the negotiation. But they're sitting here after, you know, Whit Merrifield, uh, you know, departs as a free agent and Brandon Belt and Kevin Kiermaier. They basically need three bats. They have a good rotation, but they need three bats for their offense. Because they really, you know, have a two-year window now before Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette become free agents. They got to win in 2024. They got to win in 2025. Um, you know, or find some other way to, to, uh, open a new window for themselves. I don't know if they necessarily want to give Vladimir Guerrero Jr. a huge contract. We've seen a lot of up and downs in his career. You know, last year, I think, was generally speaking considered to be really disappointing by the team. And so at the moment, I don't think there's a lot of enthusiasm there. I would say I saw, you know, video of him in a home run uh, contest, home run derby uh, in winter ball. And man, he looks good. Whatever he's been doing since the end of the season, it's pretty clear. He's pretty much devoted to the to the idea of losing some weight, which I think had to happen. I'll get you out of here on on kind of a note like that. I'm actually shocked to see how many stars play in winter ball. Like these teams, uh, you know, 
legislates so much of what guys can do in the offseason, right? Can't ride a motorcycle, can't play pickup basketball. I understand baseball players play baseball, but I am surprised at how many stars are playing winter ball away from the watch of the team. Yeah, and I and I do think that generally speaking, uh, you know, your point is well taken and well made that teams are more about control than they've been in the past. But when it comes to the case of, you know, players like Ronald Acuna Jr., like Vladdy Jr., uh, I, I think there's probably some enthusiasm for the teams uh, among the teams. And you know what? Um, the guy's got to exercise. He's got to be active. And we'd love to have him being active, you know, playing baseball. Ronald Acuna mm-hmm. Jr., since he blew out his knee a couple of years ago, you know, the Braves have seen him gradually gain confidence in that knee. Uh, and I think they, you know, love to see him play the outfield. I think he's playing center field, if I've read this correctly, the winter ball, uh, you know, which will help his movement and, and maybe help him going forward. Yeah, there's always risk, but I think it's less so with position players than it is with pitchers. So, unless you're Ronnie Mauricio of the New York Mets, tore his ACL yeah, the other day. So there you go. Buster Olney, our ESPN MLB insider. Buster, we'll get you on your way to the Otani press conference here momentarily, which I know you'll be watching here in a bit. So uh, we appreciate you, and we'll catch up uh, next week for our pre-holiday special. That sounds great. I appreciate it, Brady. I appreciate you as well, Buster Olney of ESPN. Look, we are going to step aside quickly, get the CBS News update. We will come back. We will react to everything Buster had to say. I got a lot of football stuff in hour number two to get to, but Buster says the Red Sox have a perception problem. We talk about that. We talk more about the O'Neill deal. We explain a little bit about the Otani contract structure and what it all really means. We're reacting to Buster, and we're taking your text in the 6 o'clock hour here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. This is Freddie Coleman of ESPN, and you're listening to Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM WDEVradio.com. I want to... Uh, Get to our Buster recap here in a second. But, Danny, that promo we just played there reminded me of something. Uh, so that one of those voices in that promo was Kevin Ellis. And Kevin Ellis is great, and he does Vermont Viewpoint, and he's on vacation for a little bit right now. But he is awesome. I love when he hosts Vermont Viewpoint. He does it a lot. And, again, he's had me on the show before, and I think he's really, really good at it. But I was actually talking with him on social media the other day. Danny, he is not a fan of sports betting. Coming to the state of Vermont. Did you know that? I didn't know his personal opinion on that, no. So his opinion on this was, um, he says, I realize that this is commerce and regulating it for taxes is better than banning it and losing it to other states. But it's still predatory and does nothing to improve communities. That was what Kevin had to say on social media. Um, I disagree. Predatory to who? I guess I would ask him. I think he means predatory to just people, right? Like, I think he means that the business of gambling gets its hooks into people and can take advantage of you. And it can. And somebody will fall through the cracks. And somebody will slip up. That is going to happen. But by and large, I believe that the people of Vermont should have their ability to choose, right? And... Look, I, I get it. Like, when you talk about all of it, when you talk about alcohol, gambling, and, and marijuana, you're dancing with the devil. I get that. That's kind of what Kevin's saying. Kevin is saying, to his credit, I give him credit for putting that out there, that he feels that way and strongly about it. He doesn't want to dance with the devil. Right? He does not want to dance with the devil. 
I am saying if the devil's going to be there anyway, you might as well dance. Because that is what's going to happen, right? People are gambling already. People are already falling through the cracks. Have people been are, forever, too. Yeah, people are already seeing the commercials out there, right? It's not like Vermont has been shielded from DraftKings commercials. It's not like Vermont has been shielded from casino commercials. It's not like we don't know that you can't go to Montreal for casino action. You can't go to Aquasasne, that you can't go to New Hampshire. We see all of these commercials, Foxwoods, Mohegan Sun. We already know this as far as I'm concerned. So the devil is already there. You might as well dance is what I'm saying. And I... When Kevin says that the money does nothing to improve communities, I, I am not – Kevin was in politics. He I, he knows more than I do. I am choosing to be hopeful that if the state has more money, it's eventually somehow, some way going to be filtered to us. And I don't know if that means that we're going to get lower taxes. I don't know if that means that they're going to build a structure that's going to be of use to us with the excess money that they bring in. I don't know how it's going to help. I have to choose that it's going to. The state makes money off of lottery tickets. The state makes money off of alcohol sales. The state makes money off of cannabis sales. The state will make money off of gambling. I have to hope that that money somehow, some way is being filtered back to us in a positive way. I don't know what it is, right? I would be interested in having a conversation with Kevin about this, okay, 100%, because I would like to learn as well. But I just have to think that there's going to be something positive that comes from this from the state. Somebody will fall through the cracks, and I already feel bad for who that person is. That person is not going to be me, and that person is not going to be Danny, and chances are it's not going to be any of you that are listening. It will be somebody, and I will feel bad. But I still believe that just because you want to protect 1, 2, 10, 50 people that are going to make wrong decisions, that the other 6.5 million can't find a way to do this responsibly and to do something that benefits the state as a whole. That so person I, might have already been in, still meeting their bookie in a back alley. So Yes, and that's true, too. And, look, the state's had lottery tickets already for a long time. And I understand you're ta- you know, we're talking about a $2 lottery ticket at your local gas station versus a $50 parlay or a $5,000 parlay. I am sure there is a difference there. But the state has already had these vices available, right? People in the state have already had these vices available. And I do believe it is safer, ultimately, to regulate the market than it is to do it in an unregulated way. Danny, you make the joke about the the bookie in the back alley. I've seen enough movies where with loan sharks and bookies, etc., that when you're in that world, that is a dangerous world to be in. If Vermont didn't regulate this stuff, that would exist more often. That would be more prevalent. That would continue to be the way that things are done. And I'm not really down with that, that's for sure. And I'm sure Kevin's not either. I'm not trying to pin me against Kevin on this, but he wrote this, and he wrote it elegantly, and he sparked my he sparked my interest on it. And I told him that I would like to go on his show on Vermont Viewpoint. I'd welcome him on my show to talk about this. Let's call him now. Let's not call him now, but you know what? We we don't have a show tomorrow, Danny. Let's see if we can get him early next week, right? You can put me in touch with Kevin, can't you? Of course. Okay, so 
Go, let's see if we can get Kevin early next week. I would love to have this. I would love to learn, right? I, I'll debate and I'll talk and I'll give my side. I would love to learn where he's coming from. I think I know where he's coming from, and I think I just said that. As I said, I think he doesn't want to dance with the devil. And I'm just saying the devil's already there. You might as well dance and let the state benefit. 802-585-3026. All right, let's get to Buster here. Couple, couple of things were very, very interesting to me on this. This one is less about Otani and less about the Red Sox, but I have to mention it. Buster didn't seem to think that teams were bothered by guys playing winter ball. I have to, I disagree with that. I don't think there's any way that the Atlanta Braves are okay with Ronald Acuna Jr. playing winter ball in Venezuela. I don't think there's any way that the Toronto Blue Jays are okay with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. playing winter ball in the Dominican Republic. I, 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 I refuse to believe that. I, I have seen enough of teams to know that when they have their stars, they don't want their stars doing anything that's not under their watch, right? The World Baseball Classic is a huge problem to teams, right? The, we as fans like it. The players really like it. The teams can't stand it. The teams don't want their guys that aren't ramped up getting injured and impacting their major league season. If the teams don't want their guys playing in March, why do they want them playing in December when they're also not ramped up? And you're talking about some of your stars. I think guys, I think teams like winter ball when you're talking about an 18-year-old prospect who is going to get some seasoning, is going to get some innings, and if he gets hurt, it doesn't really impact your club this year or maybe next year. I think they like it for some journeymen who they signed to a, a one-year deal, a minor league contract, and then, hey, they really show something at winter ball, and, well, now they've really popped, and you feel good about them. But it's a, all in all, it's a low-risk move for a guy like that. You're talking about Ronald Acuna Jr., who's making $80 million. You're talking about Ronald Acuna Jr., who just made, who just won National League MVP. Do you think the Braves want him around playing 25 games in winter ball, 20 games in winter ball, running around the bases, risking a, a, a torn hamstring or a torn ACL? I don't think so. Right? Prospects, journeymen, mid-roster guys, play all the baseball you want. Guys who are going to help us win the World Series, I don't think they want to play in there. Right? Like, Danny, NBA teams don't love their guys playing in the Olympics. They're holding their breath every year in international competition. Right? The players like to play. Right? The, the, the players like to represent their country. And I enjoy watching it. Do you think the Celtics love Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum playing for Team USA? I'll answer it for you. They don't. They even Do skip think- FIBO when it's, that's the less important one every two years. Right, we heard about the Celtics, you know, there was the whole thing about is Porzingis really hurt or did the Celtics just not want him to play in the in the World Cup of basketball this year. Now, he said he was hurt, we learned he had a foot problem, but there was all this thought that the Celtics didn't want him to play. I remember when I was first starting in this business, the Knicks didn't want Porzingis to play for Latvia in the Olympics the first time around 10 years ago. And what would have been the 2014 Olympics or whatever, they wanted no part of it. I think they tried to tell him he couldn't play. As far as I'm, as far as I'm remembering, guys don't want, teams don't want their stars playing. We saw what happened to Paul George playing in FIBA for Team USA. He missed almost an entire season for the Indiana Pacers a handful of years ago. Ronnie Mauricio, who's a Mets top prospect who is arguably going to win their starting third baseman job, just tore his ACL playing in winter ball in the Dominican Republic and is probably out for the entirety of the season. 
That's a 22-year-old, your number four prospect, and your possible starter at third base for a Mets team that wants to get good again quickly and get back to the playoffs. Now they are out one of their most young and impactful players. So when Buster says, like, oh, look, if they won't let you play pickup basketball in the offseason, they won't let you ride a motorcycle, I don't know that they want you playing 25 games not under their watch. I just, Buster, I, I disagree with Buster on that one. Again, young prospect, fringe guy, play all you want. Vlad Jr., Ronald Acuna, I don't think teams are down with that. All right, let's move on to the Otani thing because this is interesting. Danny, Buster explained all of this, I think, really well. And it's taken me a few days to kind of learn everything about this. Shohei Otani, so we find out on Saturday that Shohei Otani is getting a 10-year, $700 million deal. On Monday, we find out the contract structure, that he's deferring $680 million until after the deal is done. Buster said all of this is very, very misleading. Really, the contract is 10 years and 460 million. That is how it's valued. And it took me a while to understand this, but Danny, the bottom line is that money today is worth more than money tomorrow, right? There's interest on things and you know, the value of the dollar and inflation, et cetera. So, like, if, Danny, if I told you that your salary was $50,000 today, it's pretty good. If I told you in 20 years your salary would be $50,000, you would say that's probably not very good. Well, why? Cost of living has gone up. Inflation has happened. Things are more expensive. Everything around me has gotten more expensive, but my money has stayed the same. That's essentially where we're at with Otani. Otani's deferrals are coming in interest-free. He is going to get $68 million a year. But $68 million a year in 20 years is not going to be as much as $68 million today. $68 million in 20 years might be the equivalent of, you know, it, it might be like getting $45 million today. It's still a lot of money. It's still monopoly money. But the way that the contract is is set up, it says 10 years, $700 million. But the way Major League Baseball values it, they have said, look, given what we know about money and given what we know about the future, it really is going to be like 10 years and $460 million, right? He is going to get $700 million. But where most of that money's coming in, that money's not going to be as worth as much as it would have been today. So, And that's where 46 is counting against the competitive balance tax each year? Correct. So when we hear that the Dodgers are getting $46 million counted against their, their CBT number, it is because Major League Baseball has calculated this deal as really worth 10 years, $460 million, 46, or 460 divided by 10 is 46. So that's where you get it. It's a $46 million hit on the Dodgers books this year. Otani is really getting $700 million. But all that money he's getting at the end that's deferred is all interest-free, so it's not going to be as worth as much then as it would have been. So it is confusing. It is interesting, disappointing to see the way the report was because everybody got so up in arms about $700 million. If people had heard 460 I don't know that anybody would have batted an eye. But to Buster's correct point, 
Otani's agent wants to play off like he negotiated a $700 million deal. He wants to steal Scott Boris clients, or he wants to get youngsters who would be Scott Boris clients to be clients of his. So now he can go around and say, look, everybody, I got $700 million for Shohei Otani, and I can do something great for you as well. That's what this is about. It's about perception for his agent. It's about perception for Otani. It's not really reality. It's $460 million, essentially, is the money that he's making here. 700 is actually coming his way, but when you've looked 15 years in the future, $68 million a year is going to be less than $68 million today. The cost of living thing is correct. Again, Danny, if I told you today you're making $50,000 a year, you'd be happy. $50,000 a year in 20 years, you're probably not happy. Why? Because everything around you is different. Everything is going to be different around Otani as well. He's not going to be impoverished because of this deal. But for reporting standards, it's not as much as we thought it was. Tech says, uh, I agree with you, Brady. The Reds saw one of their top prospects, Noelve Marte, used to play for the Mariners, yes, injure his hamstring in winter ball a few weeks ago. Again, that's a guy who's, that's a guy who might be a starter for the Cincinnati Reds. And now he's had multiple hamstring issues and now it's happened away from the team. So I definitely don't think, uh, that teams love this. Finally, let's talk about the Red Sox a little bit, right? What Buster had to say about them. Buster likes the Tyler O'Neill deal. I do as well relatively low risk. You gave up two minor league pitchers, one of which in Robertson you had seen before. So you give up two minor league pitchers, you get a major league outfielder. You get a guy who has hit 30 home runs plus in the season before, just two years ago. You get a guy who has won a gold glove before. Get a guy who runs reasonably well. Get a guy who's motivated playing in a contract year. Get a guy who's a right-handed bat. You needed that. You look at the Red Sox lineup, really in terms of power from the right side, all they had now is Trevor Story. Now you've added O'Neal. He essentially replaces the Adam Duvall role from this team a year ago. So I like the deal as well. But it's not as impactful as other things that teams have done around you, right? It's not. The Yankees got Soto. The Dodgers went and got Otani. I I don't know what's going to happen with the rest of the market, but you're not doing as much as other teams that you're competing with. The Blue Jays tried to get Otani. You weren't even in the – weren't even didn't even have a seat at the table. So – I like the O'Neill move. I think it's good. I think it allows them and frees them up if they want to go and make another move potentially. If they want to trade Jaron Duran, they have a chance of doing that. If they want to move on from Abreu, they, they can't. Like, they have a guy there now. So we will see what happens. Buster says, the Red Sox are swimming uphill against a perception problem. That, Danny, is the most damning news of all. Right? That's what you don't want to hear. That your organization has a perception problem. And what is that perception? That perception could be any of the following, none of which are good. The perception is that your ownership group is cheap. Right? The perception is that your ownership group is cheap. That they let Mookie Betts go. That they let Xander Bogarts go. That they dilly-dallied with Rafael Devers. That they that they haven't really been in on free agency in the last several years. That could be a perception problem. The perception problem could be that your ownership group has made your franchise relatively unstable. Well, hey, they had Dave Dombrowski, and he won a World Series, and then they went to High and Bloom, and he did exactly what they said, what, what he wanted them to do, 
and then they moved on to Craig Breslow now. What's going on there? Why is it like that? That could be a perception problem. The perception could just be that, hey, you're not very good right now, and I don't think you're particularly close to getting good, and you haven't shown the willingness to go out and get pieces to make us look good. Whatever the reason is, none of it's beneficial for the Red Sox, right? To hear that you have a perception problem in the game among players, among agents, not good. How do you change that? Kind of a chicken or the egg thing, right? You can win, right? You can surprise people and win, and if you build it, they will come. Or you can go out and buy it and say, look, we're still the Boston Red Sox. We still have a bunch of money. Come here, our money spends. And now we can win like the Texas Rangers did, right? The Texas Rangers, who was going to Texas? Rangers lost 100 games, several years, I think. And the, like the Red, the Rangers didn't make the playoffs, I want to say since 2016. Had lost 100 games, I believe, multiple times between 2016 and 2023. They go out, they spend massively, overspend on Seeger and Semyon. And then all of a sudden, they're spending again on DeGrom, massively. They're spending on Evaldi, pretty big. And they go out and win the World Series. Do the Texas Rangers have a, have a perception problem now? Hey, they spend money and they win? Let's go. We're going. We're going to Texas. I mean, do the Dodgers have a perception problem? They spend money and we win. Now they got Otani. Woohoo! Okay, I'm going there. Everybody's going to be lining up to play for the Dodgers. Danny, talk about the NBA, right? Remember the hangers on of the world, right? The, Andrew Bogut's and the David West, they all wanted to go play for the Warriors. Okay, Warriors didn't have a perception problem. They're going to win. So we're all coming here. Patriots had the same thing for a long time. The hangers on like like Chris Long when he came here to try to win a Super Bowl. Guys want to go where you can win or where they spend money or in a perfect world where both happen. And right now the Red Sox apparently have a perception that they're doing neither. They're not winning. They're not spending money. And that's a problem. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Um, a couple of texts coming in. Actually, one of these texts actually is going to be relevant to our next segment. We don't have a show tomorrow because of high school basketball. we got the Dave Morse Invitational, the championship, and the consolation matchup. So we have no show tomorrow. As a result, we will be doing our six-pack of NFL questions today. Our six-pack of NFL questions getting you ready for week 15. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We are heading into week 15 of the NFL season. This is where the schedule gets really weird, right? There's no bye week, so we got everybody playing again. We got Saturday games now. Then we got the holidays coming up. So there's a lot of stuff going on. It all starts tonight with Thursday Night Football between the Chargers and the Raiders. I got to tell you, There are a lot of good games this weekend. There are a lot of games that mean something this weekend. I have a very hard time kind of picking out one singular best game or one singular most intriguing game. There's a lot of stuff to like and sift through in this week. So, Danny, without further ado, let's get to our six-pack of NFL questions. The best game of the NFL weekend is... Again, there's a lot of games that are really, really good in this week. If I have to pick a game that we're coming in on Monday talking about being the best, I'm going with the Broncos and the Lions. These are two teams I've talked a lot about 
over the course of the last couple of weeks, right? Early in the season, I was very, very high on the Lions. I have a soft spot for the Lions, right? Lovable losers. They've never won a playoff game in my life. They went 0-16 15 years ago or whatever. Then you look at Denver, and all of a sudden, here they are. They've won... Was it five of six or six straight? Something like that. They've gone, I mean, they're seven and six right now and in the thick of the playoff race. And here you have a Saturday night standalone game. Russell Wilson in prime time. He's always been pretty good historically in prime time. The Lions historically aren't ever in prime time because they've been so bad. So here they are now nine and four coming off an awful loss against the Bears. They've been beaten a handful of times in the last couple of weeks, including getting trounced by Baltimore five or six weeks ago. So best game of the weekend, I think, is Broncos at Lions. Seven and six Denver, nine and four Detroit. Russell Wilson continues to do enough, right? We talk about the idea of a game manager and play into your strengths and all that. Russell Wilson continues to throw for a lot of short yardage, a lot of dump offs, and then the handful of moon balls a game. So Russ seems to be finding his way in the Sean Payton offense. Sean Payton Payton seems to be doing things that get Russ doing what he does best. They're running the ball a little better with Javante Williams. The Denver defense is pretty good. Cortland Sutton's making some plays down the field. They've still got Jerry Judy. So I'm liking more Denver. And then there's Detroit, who has all those weapons, right? You look at Detroit, Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery. What's happened with Jared Goff lately, right? Turning the ball over a little too much. Jamison Williams and Amon Ra St. Brown. They don't play great defense, but they got the fiery head coach in Dan Campbell. They're at home. They got beat at home in prime time on Thanksgiving. Can they come and rally and get this one? 10-4 and four is a lot different than 9-5 and five if you're the Detroit Lions. I was watching Good Morning Football this week on the uh, NFL Network. And Ryan Leaf was on and said his trust in the Lions is only a 5 out of 10. That's not a good spot to be. I think this game is going to be very, very good. I'm going to guess the Lions win it because I think they need it. And I think Denver needs it too, but I think the Lions need it more. I think the Lions win it. I think the Lions win it about 24 to 21. Close game, late field goal. When we come back on Monday, I think we'll be looking back at the weekend saying, man, that Saturday night game was pretty good, Danny. The game that intrigues us most is... Okay, the game that intrigues me most is Titans-Texans. I will tell you why momentarily. There are a ton of games, though, that are intriguing for various reasons. Like, a ton of games that mean something. We got Vikings at Bengals coming up on Saturday at 1. This is the backup quarterback bowl, right? Nick Mullins against Jake Browning. Both teams are 7-6. and six. The two former LSU receivers, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, going at each other. And Chase says, I'm the best receiver in the league. That's what it's about. It's not about us two. It's about me. Very, very intriguing. Steelers-Colts. I mean, the Steelers, who all of a sudden have dropped games to the Patriots and the Cardinals, now going on the road to take on Gardner Minshew and company, who just keep finding a way to get things done. And here we are. The Colts right now are 7-6. and six. I know they got beat last week by the Bengals, but by and large, they've gotten things done, right? They've they've won three of their last four games. Actually, they've won four of their last five games. So that game is intriguing. Two teams battling it out for potential playoff bursts in the AFC. Bears and Browns are interesting, given how well the Browns and Joe Flacco are playing with, you know, how well the Browns are playing with Flacco under their leadership. He's one and one as a starter. Giants and Saints, even that's intriguing now. Tommy DeVito, three games over 100 quarterback rating. The Packers are coming off an awful loss to the Giants. They've played themselves out of playoff position. They're taking on the Bucks. Both teams are 6-7. and seven. Bucks got a chance to win the NFC South. Packers are looking for a wild card. That game is intriguing. 
the Chiefs, how do they come back after a couple of losses? Even against the Patriots, that's intriguing. I mean, Cowboys, Bills, Ravens, Jags, Eagles, Seahawks, they're all intriguing. But, Danny, nothing is more intriguing. Than your Seahawks. No. Texans, Titans. I said that at the beginning. Oops. Texans, Titans. Do you know why this matchup is the most intriguing in the league this week? I don't. Titans it's, never intrigued me, but that's okay. The 7-6 and six Texans at the 5-8 and eight Titans. You know why this is the most intriguing? Because this one, to me, is uniform gate. Okay? Uniform gate is being performed this week. I hate everything about this. The, Tex- the Tennessee Titans are going to be wearing Houston Oilers jerseys against the Houston Texans and a complete slap in the face to every fan who's ever existed of Houston football. Danny, if you know nothing about me, learn this. I do not like teams that relocate, and I do not like when relocated teams wear the jerseys of their former team or their former city because I think it's an affront to those fans that they left behind. I understand the Houston Oilers lineage went with the Tennessee Titans. Danny, before you were born, probably, actually not quite before you were born, but the Houston Oilers became the Tennessee Oilers for a year, and then they became the Tennessee Titans. The Oilers franchise history is part of the Titans history. I completely get that. That said, of all days to break out the Houston Oilers jerseys, you wear them against the Houston Texans. So every fan in Houston who has been, who has now fallen in love with the Texans because you left them behind, you're going to reopen those wounds. This is a complete intentional decision. It's done to hurt. I don't like it. I don't appreciate it. And I hope the Texans went 47 to nothing and the Titans don't get one first down. It's a classless move. I don't, I hate everything about it. If the, if the Oklahoma City Thunder ever wore Sonics jerseys, I'd be furious. I'd be doubly furious if they ever wore them against a Seattle team. Okay? It's absolutely ridiculous that the Titans are doing this, and they're doing it against the Titans. It's bad enough they wear them, period. Now they're wearing them against Houston. Woo-hoo. I have a major problem with that, Danny. Question three. The bar rescue game of the week is? Worst game on the NFL calendar, to me, is pretty clear. It's tonight. Chargers, Raiders, and both teams are 5-8. and eight. Both teams are going nowhere. Brandon Staley's definitely going to get fired at the end of the year for the Chargers. Josh McDaniels has already been fired with the Raiders. we got quarterbacks named Easton Stick and Aiden O'Connell playing. Keenan Allen's great. Devontae Adams is great. I don't know if either quarterback can get him the ball. I will probably watch a Christmas movie over this, this game tonight. I will watch the Celtics. I will watch a Christmas movie. I will not be watching Chargers-Raiders. Next. The player we want to watch most this week is... Justin Fields. Right? The Bears aren't going anywhere this year either. But they're 5-8. and eight. Outside of September, they've played reasonably well this year. Fields hasn't been healthy the entire time. I'm interested in seeing what Fields looks like. Cleveland's, Cleveland has one of the best defenses in the league, especially at home. If Justin Fields can play well against the Browns and spoil the Browns' party... Heck, even if the Browns win... But Fields plays great. I've been very curious here about the decisions that the Bears have in the offseason. The Bears are going to have the number one pick in the draft. Okay, The Bears are going to have the number one pick in the draft. Right? Carolina's going to get it. And it's traded to the Bears because of the, Vice Young, because of the Bryce Young trade. What do the Bears do at one? Do the Bears trade Justin Fields in the offseason and draft 
one of the young quarterbacks to restart the rookie quarterback clock? Do they sign Justin Fields and trade the number one pick and go and get a freight for it? A lot of it's going to depend on what they think of Fields down the stretch. He's played fairly well here of late. Played pretty well against Detroit last week in a win for the Bears in that upset. If he goes on the road to Cleveland against this defense in that Cleveland weather and plays well, the decisions are only going to continue to get harder. The waters are only going to get muddy for the Bears. You look at the Bears down the stretch. Browns, Cardinals, Falcons, Packers. Not a, not a murderer's row of opponents after this week. See how Fields does. We'll see how they weigh it, and we'll see what they want to do with that number one pick. Because I think if they trade Justin Fields, there's value there. If they trade the number one pick, we know there's value there. Can Fields force them into that very difficult decision? Next. The player with the most pressure this week is... Yeah, I don't think it's a player this week. I don't I don't mean to cop out. I don't think a player this week has the most pressure. For me, it's Pete Carroll. Danny, this is where my Seahawks come into play. I think head coach Pete Carroll has the most pressure this week. I sneaky think that Pete Carroll is not guaranteed to come back next year. The Seahawks were 6-3. and three. They are now 6-7. and seven. They have lost four consecutive games. They're taking on an Eagles team on Monday Night Football that's reeling themselves, but the Seahawks very well could lose five consecutive games. They could play themselves. We're talking about a month ago, NFC West title number one seed potential stuff out of the Seahawks. Now we're talking about a top 14 pick in the draft potentially for the Seahawks. See, the Seahawks defense has been iffy. The Seahawks offense hasn't figured out its identity. They've lost four straight, first time ever under Pete Carroll. They've lost four straight. It could be five. They they won the Super Bowl in 2013. That's more than 10 years ago. I, Pete Carroll's done a very good job in Seattle, and he deserves a lot of respect. They're among the most penalized teams in the entirety of the NFL. They play with a complete lack of discipline on the field, and they got some of that lack of discipline off the, you know, on the field but out of the play as well, the stuff with DK Metcalf that's going on. Pete Carroll needs a strong close to this season. Do they have to make the playoffs? I don't know about that. But to be six and three and now be six and seven and maybe looking at six and eight, that is not a good place to be. They've got winnable games against Tennessee, Pittsburgh, and, and Arizona coming up at the end of the year. So they can still do some stuff even with a loss. They could still finish nine and eight potentially. But if you want to turn it around, you better start now. Also, while I don't think there's pressure on Bill Belichick, I think there is a lot of pressure on the Patriots now as well, right? The report's out that Bill's going to get fired or that Bill's going to get let go at the end of the year. The team evidently has seen that. Guys like Jabril Peppers, guys like Jelani Tavai, guys like Dietrich Wise, they've all spoken up in support of Bill Belichick. I think you will see the Patriots give their best effort this weekend against the Kansas City Chiefs. Not that they don't try every week. But I think they're really going to come after it defensively. I think we're going to see a win-one-for-the-Gipper type thing here for the Pats. I'll be, again, it's not really pressure on Bill, but I think the team will apply some pressure to themselves to come out and play a clean game. Danny, I'm bypassing the sixth sixth question about the stat of the week because I want to talk a little bit more about about the Patriots and Chiefs here. You can keep the music going, though. I am fascinated to see what will happen. I think the Patriots are going to come out 
and play as hard as they played all year. There have been other times where I thought they needed to play as hard as they could, and they've come out and they've laid an egg. I think they're going to play with an edge to them. I think they're going to play with a resolve to them. And I don't know what's going to happen. Earlier in the week, I thought the Patriots were going to lose this game 24-10. to I thought they'd try hard, they played good defense, but ultimately it wouldn't be enough. Danny, mark my words. I am calling a Patriots victory on Sunday. Whoa. I can't believe I am. Sport, thank goodness sports betting's not legal yet because I don't want to clean out, don't want to get cleaned out on this one. But I am calling a Patriots victory. Low scoring, smash mouth football, not pretty. I could see it being 13-10. But I'm calling a Patriots victory. I think the guys on this team, who do respond to Bill, look, Mac Jones does not respond to Bill Belichick. But I think a lot of the defensive guys do, right? The defensive guys have spoken up on his behalf. I think they, I think the whole team comes out with an edge. Remember, this is going to be, this is the Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift show. Report is that Taylor Swift's going to be in attendance. They want nothing more than to end that. They want to, to prove that they shouldn't have been flexed out of Monday Night Football and suffered that embarrassment. They've got the report about Belichick parting ways. I think they just come out and play really hard. Do they? Are they undermanned? Of course they are. But Bill Belichick has always had a good game plan for Patrick Mahomes. Travis Kelsey looks a step slower now, constantly a little bit banged up. We know about the Chiefs' issues at wide receiver. If the Chiefs can't just waltz up and down the field, I think the Pats have an opportunity to keep this game close. And if they can keep it close, I think they can win it. And I'm going to say they win it by a field goal and the final score 13 to 10. Offense ugly, punt fest in a lot of this game. But I think they do just enough to get the victory. It's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Let's take a look at the text line here, 802-585-3026. Uh, text says, I'll trade you Bill Belichick for Geno Smith. Um, no. I understand that the Seahawks might need a new head coach. Patriots might need a new quarterback. I'd rather the Patriots draft someone. I like Geno. What the Seahawks need is a defense and an offensive coordinator that picks an identity. That's what I would say. So, Danny, what do you think about my Patriots prediction? I think it's crazy, but it might happen. That's why they play the game, my friend. As Chris Berman used to say, that's why they play the game. Right Limited there. fake Berman. That's why they play the game. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We will come wrap it up. Final segment coming up next here on DEV. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. A couple things here before we get out today. Uh, Danny, my Christmas tree is now decorated, right? We've got the lights on. The ornaments are on. It has not fallen yet. Knock on wood. Okay? It has not fallen yet. So I would hope, hope. That we're going to be good now, but uh, again, I will continue to knock on wood about that. But yes, the tree has not fallen yet, so that's that's certainly good news. I've been nervous about it, you know, for a week. So um, and no belt, no belt tied. If you missed that story, you got to go back to Monday's podcast and look that up. But yes, one year I had to tie a belt to a kettlebell in order to keep the thing from falling over. It was leaning so far one way, I had to bring a weight to counteract it. 
and go back the other way. So uh, that was a fun holiday season, that's for sure. Uh, Danny, let me hear what Cam Newton had to say, right? Former Patriots quarterback Cam Newton was speaking uh, on a podcast earlier this week. He was talking about other quarterbacks in today's NFL. Lamar Jackson, obviously Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott, Brack Parity, like, but Brock, let's, they're not winning because of him. He's not turning the ball over. He's managing the game. And if we were to put that in its own right as game managers, Brock, Parity, Tua Tonga Valoa, Jared Goff, and really Dak Prescott. Mm. These are game managers. They're, they're not difference makers. And when you say game manager, I'm not asking you to go out and win the game. I'm just asking you not to lose. Not to lose the game. That's, listen, I don't give a damn what you do. You don't have to score every time. You just don't have to throw a pick every time either. So Cam says that guys today, a lot of the guys that are getting MVP love are game managers. He says they're not game changers. So this all reeks of, did you see what I did? I was a game changer, baby. Cam, that's what Cam's saying. Cam's like, I was an MVP, and I was a game changer. I did things that nobody else could do. And he's saying that everybody can do what these guys are doing. I think this is far more layered and complicated than people are giving it credit for nationally, right? Like, I hear people talk about this subject. I think it's far more complex than people think. One, I think it reeks of bitterness. Okay, I liked Cam a lot when he was here. I think it reeks of bitterness. I think it also reeks of everything I've always said, right? Guys who are older look down upon guys who are younger and say they're not as good, right? We had Tom Brady saying it's mediocre football. Now, I know Cam is only 34. He feels much older than that, given that he's been out of the league now and how long he was in the league. And when he came into the league, he was very young. Like, he feels older than 34. He's not. But it still reeks of, like, back in my day, this is how quarterback was played. So I always just kind of write that off as something that I expect. Older guys talking down to younger guys. The other thing I think Cam has to realize is that I think the best quarterbacks in the league have the ability to do both. Right? The best quarterbacks in the league have the ability to be a game manager to just not foul it up, to get the ball to the right place, to play a part of the system. But they also have the ability to do the special things. And what Cam fails to realize is that while he could do a lot of the special, he didn't do all of that game manager stuff as well in his career. Look at Cam's numbers. 21 touchdowns, 17 picks. 19 touchdowns, 12 picks. 24-13, 18 12-19-14, 22-16, 24-13, 8-10. Okay? If Cam had been a better game manager and had his special home run ability, he would have been an all-time great. Instead, he was kind of you, – you can't be only game manager, right? Only game manager with no special, I think you get Mac Jones in 2021. That's not good enough long-term. Only hits home runs but doesn't ever hit a double, you can't only have that either. That's kind of what Cam was for a lot of his career. Cam had the special. He needed a little more of the game managing ability in his career. It's okay to do game manager type stuff. I want you to have special too. But you can't not have the other stuff. 
Cam looks at it like, because I could do the special, that made me better, right? Being a game changer was better. Being a game changer is great. And I think the truly great ones have it. But the truly great ones also can manage when the time calls for it as well. We have no show tomorrow because we have the Dave Morse Invitational. So we'll see you again on Monday. Patriots coverage begins Sunday at 10 a.m. The kickoff is at 1. Thanks to Buster Olney. Thanks to Danny. Go download the podcast channel, everybody. Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Jazz with George Thomas is next.